Good morning. Good morning. How is everyone doing? Excellent. Let's put this into Do Not Disturb. Okay. So, we're back for another year. Year number two is going to be the Sefer HaMitzvot of the Rambam. This was by request. Sefer HaMitzvot of the Rambam, but it's more than just that. It's really going to be a Sefer HaMitzvot in general. So, my goal, the plan is, today I, I want to just do a meet and greet, meet some of the people who are going to be quoting often um, over, the next, over the next year or so. Everyone from Rav Sadia Gon, a little bit on the Rambam, but the Rambam will be more, get his own introduction next week, as well as just a lot of the commentaries we'll be, we will be seeing. And then again, part of the introduction will be next year is going to be more about this idea of the, the concept of 613 mitzvot. Where did it come from? Does it actually exist? Are there more than 613? Are there less than 613? Where is it based out of? As well as an introduction to the Rambam himself. And after that, we'll start going into the mitzvot. And what's going to be interesting about this year is that each week is going to be different. Because one week we could do a mitzvah of Avas Hashem. And the next week we could do, I don't know, the mitzvah of bringing the carbon tummit, bringing the sacrifices. So it's going to be different every week. And we're not, obviously not going to just stick to the Rambam. There are lots of, as we'll see, there are lots of people who engage in writing Sefer HaMitzvot. And then there are lots of commentaries. So for instance, when we do the week of Amuna, belief in God, we can discuss that. We can discuss then Rav Nachman and more Hasidic approach. When you do the Karbanos, you can discuss, there's just so much to discuss, and it's going to really be more an act of my own uh, constriction, and hold myself back so that we can still get out of here within a half hour or so. So, for today we're beginning, I want to do a, a meet and greet, and that is visit and meet some of the people who are spent their lives or dedicated writings to the idea of Sefer Mitzvah. So if you recall from past Urim, I mentioned there's a concept of 613 mitzvahs. Okay, we'll, we'll delve more into that next week. Then you start finding, beginning with Rav Sadia Gon, really. Rav Sadia Gon, born in either 1882 or 1892 in Egypt. He makes his way to Baghdad, where he becomes the leader of Baghdad. We'll discuss a little more of that as well. He's really the first one to write, and his, what he did was a poem. A poem which was supposed to be read on Shavuos, one of the pismonim on Shavuos, where he goes through the 613 mitzvahs. And after that, you start finding many other people who, Rishonim, who start, again, engaging this concept of trying to record after 613 mitzvahs, what are they? You have the Bahag, the Bahalachas Gadolos, the Sma, the Sefer Mitzvahs Gadol. And it goes on and on. Again, we'll meet many of them over the course of this year and then going further. And that kind of, the Rambam, it kind of culminates with the Rambam. And after the Rambam, he becomes the go-to when you think of Sefer Mitzvahs, and everyone has to respond to the Rambam. That's how important his work was, which is why I had two requests. One, to learn Sefer HaChinuch, which we, we came up in anonymous work, also from the times of the Rishonim, where he goes through all the mitzvahs and also tries to give a reason for all the mitzvahs. And the other one was, let's learn the Rambam. And I was going back and forth, and even on, I, Rebecca, Rebecca Falk made the flyer. She made two flyers, one for Rambam, one for Sefer HaChinuch. We couldn't figure it out. But ultimately, I concluded, let's do the Rambam, because again, the way it usually works is you have the Rambam and everyone else becomes commentary. So that's what we're going to do. So today let's begin with visit, going to Egypt and then Baghdad, Rafsad Yagon. And again, we're not going to get through all of this because usually I over-prepare and either we'll spill over to next time or you're all lucky. I had a second, my own notes, which I left at home. And I'm not going to go home to get it, so then you, you get out. So, as I mentioned, Rafsad Yagon wrote, for many years we knew he wrote two things. One was a list of Asharos, which is almost like a poem... Uh, of Musser, a poem that was telling the people, these are the things, the way you have to act. And then he wrote for, on Shavuos, to be read during the davening, a uh, poem of 613 mitzvahs. It's a short poem, if you can imagine. You'll, if you look down even on, on the, uh, 
if you look down, if you, pretty much the only source I brought on the source sheets, first source on up, here's the poem. Ready for this? I just brought the first, the first paragraph. You can hear the rhyming. Then you hear the rhyming there. Fear, God, fear Hashem your God, that's Aleph, by the way. Again, it's also used, used the acrostics there. And serve Him through prayer. First two mitzvahs is, fear God, serve Him through prayer. You should proclaim His unity morning and evening. Which, what do you think that is? Shema, Shema. Okay. But also, the sign, a sign for prayer. I eat villain. On your corners, put your titsis. And on the door, put the eternal mezuzah. Honor your parents. For fear of them as God has given them greatness. So this is a poem. Again, we just, in, in, uh, it's written like a poem, but you count the words. There's not many words. You can imagine, 613, it's not a very long poem. It's not what you have in the, the Rambam Sefer Amitzvos, like this. Or in English, over here, we have it in English for those who want to look. So that's the poem. So this poem then gets greatly expounded upon. If you look down the, the next picture, this is a man by the Yeruchim Fischl Perlau. We'll get to back to him in a minute when I finish our side going. He wrote a commentary on the Sefer HaMitzvos, which at this point, the latest printed edition is, looks like it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven volumes. Seven volumes. It turns out that Rav Sadiagon himself actually did write a Sefer HaMitzvos, similar to the Rambam, going through all the mitzvos, more than just giving them one line, but actually giving them a paragraph or, or more each. But we, this was only discovered more recently, and it was published a couple of years ago. I've never actually seen it, but I, I've heard it quoted, and I looked at it, tried to find it online. I found, I found a copy online. So he did write it. Either, so who was Rav Sadiagon? Sadiagon the, becomes the leader in Babylonia, as we recall from last year, the second year of the year last year. After kind of the, the expulsion from, from, from Yerushalayim, Jewish life slowly migrates to Babylonia, to Bavel. I mean, it happened even beforehand, but the center of Jewish life moves to Bavel, which is how we have the Babylonian Talmud. But even before, but that, and then we have the ta- period of the Gaonim, these leaders of yeshivas. Anyone who was the leader of yeshiva was called a Gaon, a great person. As the Rosh was found of saying, just because you were called a Gaon, didn't make you a Gaon. Okay, we have that nowadays, Haraf Gaon. Rather, the concept of Haraf Gaon is also a rather new concept. That he also only found out more recently. So he becomes the leader there, and he was, first of all, he was well-versed in all sorts of areas of knowledge. He, he writes books, uh, from rabbinical books, books on mathematics, books on grammar, a Hebrew dictionary, because the spoken language was Arabic, liturgical poems, and he writes a Jewish prayer book, one of the first Jewish prayer books, not the one where ours is based off of, but he writes the first Jewish prayer book. He, he answers letters from all over the world. And he was, and he writes a very important work called the Muna Videos. The Muna Videos is a work of philosophy, one of the first of its time, where he's trying to give rational arguments to God, refuting the Karaites, who were very, very powerful in that area. He spent most of his life refuting the Karaites, as we'll see in a minute. And he writes his book, Amun of Deus, where he, again, discusses all the thorny issues. The issues from Sadiq Arala, why do good things happen to bad people? The issues of free will, how can it be that we have freedom if God knows the future? And if God knows the future, so then everything we do is predestined. But then we don't have free will. You know, the classic question of free will, as well as dealing with other issues and more in our Aristotelian. He was influenced by, you know, there was, again, the Muslim thought there. So he was responding to, I believe it was more Sufi, Sufi Islam in that area. So that's, that's what he was doing. One of the major controversies of his life was the famous calendar controversy where Aaron ben Meir, who was a Gon in, Pal- in, uh, in Palestine, I believe he was a Karite, he 
decided that the calendar that they had been using, that had been set in stone, the calendar that had been set in stone, which we spoke about a little bit on the first night, second night of Sukkot this year, the calendar was off. So he tried to make a three-year calendar, which you can imagine what would happen. You have one person saying the Jewish calendar is this night, one saying it's this night, Pesach, then it's going to look at, be on different nights throughout the year. This was terrible. This is a calamity that would effectively split Jewish life and in a way end Jewish life if we don't have the calendar. So Rashad Yigon takes out his pen and he writes some very you know, polemics, vicious polemics, attacking this um, Aaron ben Meir. And this fight goes on and on, and eventually it culminates Pesach that year. There were, in fact, in Israel, they kept it one day, and in, in, in Babylonia, above, they kept it another day. But eventually it gets, it gets resolved. Rosh Hashanah that year, it's resolved. Aaron, Aaron ben Meir retracts. He realizes he's beaten, and, he, and it's solved. So he wins that fight. He doesn't win every fight. At a certain point, it goes into exile because of the local leaders. He, again, he fought. He was a principled person. He fought for his principles, something we, perhaps we should think more about these days. So that's, that is Rosad Yagon, and he, he dies in, nine, in 942, 942. 942. Rav Yeruchim who we just mentioned a minute ago, he writes this monster, monster commentary on Rosad Yagon. Effectively what he does is he, he uses Rosad Yagon to publish, to, to publish his own safer. Because at the end of the day, you know, while there, it is a commentary on Rosad Yagon, ultimately it's his own commentary. I think uh, Dr. Chaim Salvechik, he goes, uh, using your, uh, hanging from the suspenders of a greater person. That's what his line when you have someone who you know, writes more footnotes than the actual book you know, in a critical edition. So he, who was Ruchel Fischl Perlau? Also a very interesting person. He was born in 1846 in Poland, and he was known to be an absolute genius, absolute Eloy. I saw, found his son's, autobiograph, uh, son's biography of his father in one of the, late, the newer editions of the Sefer HaMitzvot of the Rasag, which is Rasad Yagon, Rasag. So he says that he, um, he learned in the yeshiva of Lamja. Lamja was, if you look actually on the next page, you see there's a, I took a, there's a picture here of a map of the yeshivas. This comes from a, a book that was published in 2022 by Ben Sion, I forget his last name. He wrote a book on the interwar yeshivas. So the arrow is pointing to nowhere because the uh, graphics got messed up when I printed it. But Lamja... It's a very, very important yeshiva. Actually, got reestablished in Israel, and Rechaim Kenievsky learned there for a short time in Petak Tikva. But it was a very, again, it was a very important yeshiva. If you look on the map next to Germany, next to Germany, um, you could see it's po- po- there's Poland in big letters. Lumja is like a northern providence, a, nor- a north, uh, I guess, east providence uh, below Germany. Do you see it? It's important, by the way, it's proximity to Germany. You'll see it's important in a few minutes. You could see again if you the map right here. It's about right over here. And again, if you, it's very, I, I love this map. It's one of my, it's one of my favorite things. This is all, he, he, these are all the yeshivas, like all the names we've always heard of. You can see them. Like, uh, for instance, you can see, uh, first of all, Radin, right up in Poland. You can see on the border over here, Piotrkov. Anyone see Piotrkov? Or Piotrkov? Right there. What was in Piotrkov? Anyone know? Why, which famous rabbi is from Piotrkov alive nowadays? Rabbi Lau. Yisrael Meir Lau is from Piotrkov. His father was the Rav in Piotrkov. It's also famous because they had, a, they had a printing press there. So a lot, if you look at a lot of the old books, old European books, they were, they were they will say Piotrkov because that's where they were published. But Rabbi Lau was, was from there. Again, you can see Lublin, Vilna. You look around this map, it's an awesome map. It's one, really, I want to blow this up and hang it up somewhere. It's really my, it's, I, know, I feel a strong connection to this because these are like the names that I, you know, I spent a lot of time learning the Torah from people here and hearing these names. Where Shalom was, by the way, it was a massively yeshiva. That's why they made fun of it. 
it was, it was known to be, I think to get into Chum, you had to know an extra amount of you know, stuff by heart. So everyone made fun of it. It's probably, you know, it's probably the weird geeks. I don't, I don't, I'm not even sure. You can look, look at it, you'll find, I'm sure you'll find it. What did you say? I'm doing that now. You're doing it now. Okay, fine. You, you, you can get lost at this map. And these are just interwar yeshivas. I mean, there was a split. But okay, not, let's not get distracted. So he's, he goes to Lumja, and he was, a very, he was very young. So he, people didn't exactly, the, the older guys there did not like the fact that he was a young little you know, guy who was smarter than the rest of them. Now, sometimes it can go two ways. You'll find, we'll see in a few minutes with, with Rav Chaim Heller, he becomes like the guy, they all go to the base medrash. Um, but with, uh, with the real official parallel, they didn't like it. Until he gets to the day he was 15 years old, shortly after he gets there, and the Rosh Hashiva Rav, um, Rav Diskin, Yeshua Leib Diskin, a picture of him also on the next page. Again, sorry, the graphics, the graph, I made this on Microsoft Word, and the graphics got messed up when I uh, put it onto Google, the Google Drive. So Yeshua Leib Diskin, a very distinguished looking man over there, he gives a shear, and then he turns to uh, this young Ruch official Pearl Allen and says, can you do a Chazara shear? Can you review it? And apparently he, go, he gives it over like perfectly. And everyone is astounded. And he's 15 years old. Rav Diskin looks at him. Rav Diskin was a major Tamil Chacham. In front of everyone, he says, I would give you a bracha to become a gon. But you already are a gon. At which point, the animosity, the animosity that the uh, older Bachram felt for him kind of dies down. And they kind of realize, here is going to be a future leader. Again, whenever you hear these stories, take it with a grain of salt. But they don't say the story about me. The story with me is like, and he was sleeping during Seder again? Okay, so he had this prodigious memory. So much so, towards the end of his life, he lost his sight. So he would hire people to come to his house to learn with him. And he would correct them when they would misread something. Again, these are these people, these the, the geniuses. He, again, legend has it as well, as well, that he locked himself in his room for 20 years to write this commentary on, this, again, this monster commentary. What does that mean? I'm sure he came out from time to time, but he basically sequestered himself with Svarim. He had a tremendous, tremendous library, one of the largest libraries in pre-war Europe. People used to come to him all the time, we'll discuss what happens at a library. He locks himself in this room and writes his commentary. He was offered many positions to be a Rav. Everyone wanted him to be a Rav. And he said, no, he lived, I believe, they had a store, his wife ran the store, he lived upstairs in a room, and he wrote this, again, this unbelievable commentary. His wife passes away relatively, when he's relatively younger, and in 1920, and he starts getting letters, come to Israel, come to Israel, we'll support you, come to Israel, we'll support you. Uh, the chief rabbi Yerushalayim was T. Pesel Frank. We've got a picture of him right here. T. Pesel Frank. Um, our conne- what's our connection to T. Pesel Frank other than being the chief rabbi Yerushalayim? His son comes to America, fundraising, ends up in Chicago. Stays in Chicago, calls his family, says, come to Chicago. Mm-hmm. And Hannah Sachs. Anyone hear of Hannah Sachs? You've heard of Hannah Sachs. The school there is named after his daughter, Hannah Sachs. So he ends up in Chicago. His grandson, great-grandson, actually, great-grandson, is of Jonathan Sachs, who is the rabbi in Passaic. I grew up in his show. Also, an unbelievable Eloy ingenious. I think that man knows everything by heart. Now, once asked, you ask him a question, like, 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 like he's reading the text to you. It's a little scary. I grew up in that show. I figured all rabbis were like that. And I found that most rabbis are human. So if he pesos, Frank sends him a letter and goes, please come, come. And he, he responds a very sad letter. I'm alone. He goes, I'm blind. I'm sick. I, I live alone, but I'm not going to come. But eventually, they uh, convince him in 1926 to come to Israel, to live out his remaining years in Israel. He gets to Israel, and the chief rabbi of, of the chief rabbi, the Eid of Haredos, the Eid of Haredos, of Zonenfeld comes out to meet him, takes him by the arm, brings him into the shul to the Mizrach, to the front seat, and puts him in a seat. This is Rav Zonenfeld A was a Kanoi. Anyone who's in the Eid of Haredos, so like the, that's the uh, you know, major anti-Zionist body. I believe one of the heads of the Eid of Haredos was the Satmar Rebbe at one point, even though he lived in America. He was a Kanoi. He was a big person. He had a very interesting relationship with Rav Cook. 
not to get distracted here, but him and Rav Kook decided to do a, a tshuva tour, where they went to all the kibbutzim in the north in order to uh, encourage people to, to do tshuva, to come back. Again, think of that time when there was a really anti-religious sentiment, and imagine these, you know, the, the main Zionist rabbi and Rav Zunnefeld going, and they were very successful, and they would have done more, ex- except uh, either Rav, maybe then Rav Kook either went to England, and that's when he got stuck in England during World War I, or, he, or Rav Zunnefeld died. I don't remember the exact details of that story. Rizonovel takes the Mizrach, puts him there, and so his Talmudian, you can imagine, also a bit kanayish. You're like, what are you doing, Rabbi? Like, that you've been sitting there for 40 years. You're the leader. How can you do that? And he just looked at him and said, this person is the Amud HaTorah, the, the pillar of Torah in our generation. You have no idea who this person is. They become very, very close to the fact that when Rizonovel passes away, apparently at the Leviah, at his funeral, when, I, um, he, or, or, not Rav Kasha, Rav, um, Rav Perla was giving him an eulogy, he sits down, and everyone else starts to get up there. And you can imagine all you know, the funerals of big rabbis. You have all the rabbis getting up there, and they're doing their classic thing. And apparently he's sitting there muttering to himself, what does this guy know of Zunvel? He didn't know of Zunvel. He didn't understand of Zunvel. He didn't understand the Torah. He doesn't understand anything. He just, you know, he just wants to give him a eulogy. He was like, upset about it because he really knew him so well. One of his prime Talmudim, who actually encouraged him to move, was Rav Menachem Mendel Kasher, who we have his farm back there, who also writes in a very similar encyclopedic way. So he actually rescued the library and brings it to Israel. So that's the, a lot of the library gets saved. And Rakasha writes also a monster commentary on the Chumash, where he brings, basically brings every single Midrash and Halacha and Gemara and everything you can possibly find and puts it there. Now it's easy because we have, we have Barilan you know, the, on the computer. Rakasha didn't have that. Rakasha also was a very interesting person, as Roshech likes to say, a colorful character. He writes about interesting topics. He was a Chassid who was a real Zionist. He writes, and this is, we'll move on, how much time we have, I don't even know what time I started. He writes at one point that there's um, a machlokus in the Gemara, how many cups do you drink on, on Seder night? Four cups? Or there's machlokus based off girsos, based off text, maybe there's a fifth cup as well. So what would the fifth cup be corresponding to? So some say koshel yahu, but we'll, we can discuss there on Pesach time where that came from. So there's, the, what are the five, the four lashonos of Geula? Salty, yeah, the top. And, what's, and what's, what would be the fifth one? Be'evesi. So says of Kasher, nowadays we live in the state of Israel, we're living in some sort of ge'ula, not only should you pour the cup, you should drink it as well. So he was an interesting person as well. See, so he was a Talmud of Rav Yochum Fischl Perl. So that's, again, we're going to turn to him a lot because he kind of goes through these taper mitzvot and he's going to give a, a lot of commentary on that as well. Fine. Moving on to the Rambam. Rambam born in 1138, dies in 1204. As someone said, Rambam dur- lived during recess. 1138 to 1204, in recess in school. Born in, in Spain, moved to Egypt. He writes his paper, the, the Mishnah Torah, as we know, the 14 books of the Yad HaZaka. And then he writes an introduction to that, seemingly, the Sefer Mitzvahs, where he goes through all the 613 mitzvahs. He's the first to do it in a systematic way. Meaning, this is the book over here, and again, we're going to discuss it more next, next week. He does, he's not content with this, okay, let's try to figure out the mitzvahs, but he writes an introduction to the Sefer on mitzvahs, where he has 14... 14 sharashim, 14 rules of what would make it in the book and what would not make it in the book. 14, he, he really, it's systematic, and I don't want to spend so much time on it now, and then everyone starts to comment on it, because as you can imagine, that if I disagree with one of the, not me, if the Ramban disagrees with one of the Rambam's principles and says that's not really a mitzvah, it's only the Rabbanan, or that's, uh, you know, an asmachta, it's only uh, chumrah, so he has to find something else to make up the count, assuming the Ramban believes in 613 mitzvahs and not 614 or 15 or 16. So a lot of what the Rambam did as well was he was arguing with the, the Bahag, Bahalachas Gedolos, where the Bahag would say, this is a mitzvah, and the Rambam would say, I don't think so, or I think 
you categorize it wrong, where I think tefillin is one mitzvah versus two mitzvahs. Tefillin, one mitzvah, two mitzvahs. Shema, one mitzvah, two mitzvahs. Talmud in the morning, the carbon you bring in the morning and night, one mitzvah, two mitzvahs. Again, you can start seeing now where you can have v- various counts because of trying to figure out even things we all do. Everyone knows you have to put on two pairs of tefillin, but is it one or two mitzvahs? So that's the Rambam. Rambam writes a Sefer Mitzvah. He also writes it in Arabic. That was a spoken language. I believe it was a Judeo-Arabic. So it was Hebrew letters, but Arabic, but Arabic text, kind of like a transliteration. Moving along to Poland, 1879, a man by the name of Chaim Heller is born. Chaim Heller, the reason we're quoting him now is because he writes a critical edition of the Rambam. Critical edition meaning he compares all the texts, all the different gersos, all the different manuscripts he puts together. His manuscript, which when the Chavetz Chaim saw it, the Chavetz Chaim said, this is the first full manuscript. There's no need to look at any other manuscripts because it was, it was that good. So who was Rav Chaim Heller? So Rabbi Ruben Brand, my uh, Rosh Hashiv, my Rosh Kolo, he gives an awesome share online. You can listen to it. Rav Chaim Heller was actually the Rav's friend. Rabbi Salvation's friend, which is interesting, interesting to think about. You think of Rabbi Salvation. We mentioned this the other day. You think of Rabbi Salvation. He's a great rabbi. Who were his friends? Who did he hang out with? He was his friend. And, um, when Ben-Gurion, at one, a certain point in the early beginnings of the state of Israel, the major question was, who was a Jew? How do you define a Jew in order to qualify for the law of return? A major question. How do you define a Jew? Because, again, you have all sorts of Jewish mother, father. Again, you're t- talking about Ben-Gurion, who's not, who wasn't religious. Very interesting person by himself. A genius, by the way. Ben-Gurion was an absolute genius. Um, crazy, but a genius. So he, um, he writes a letter to many Rabbanim, Orthodox conservative reform, philosophers, Jewish thinkers, everyone he can think of makes it a list, like 75 people. He writes one to the Rub, and he writes one to Rechaim Heller. And you can probably imagine, these two friends are sitting there talking one day, like, you get a letter from Ben-Gurion? Well, I got the same one. It's like, you know when you get a text from someone, like, wait, it was a mass text? It wasn't, it, will you be mocha me? I'm so sorry I hurt you. Like, your wife gets the same text, and you're like, oh, I guess. So they, write it, they actually co-authored a letter responding to this. It's an interesting letter we're not going to get into now. So who was Rechaim Heller? He was also an Eloy. Born in Bialystok in Poland. He as well um, ends up in Lumja when he is uh, about 70, in 1912. So he's born in, in 1897. He's, in 1912, he ends up in Lamja, where he's appointed the Rav of the city and the Avezdin. Okay, that's how brilliant he was. Lamja, where Chaim Heller, where uh, was there a few years earlier, Chaim Heller becomes the Rav there. doesn't last very long. He didn't like the rabbinate. He didn't want to do that. So he goes and moves to Berlin. Again, also, he was known to be this absolute brilliant, brilliant person. He moves to Berlin now. Again, if you look at the map, you can see the, the proximity of Lamja to Berlin. It's not that far. What's significant? What's different about Berlin than, as we mentioned, the other Eastern Europe and Western Europe? Primarily, their appro- well, one of the main approaches was their approach to secular studies and secular wisdom. Whereas in Eastern Europe, in the yeshivas, it was shunned, at, at, you know, to, it was kind of not done or done you know, quietly. In Berlin, that was the order of the day. You know, we're familiar with Rosham Shafal Hirsch, Torah and Derech Eretz. You've got a Torah and you've got to have knowledge. The rabbi doctor, that's where it originated in. Um, by the way, an interesting point about Rechaim Heller, and you see this often with Gedolim, he never went learned in yeshiva. He never actually learned in yeshiva more than a, couple, a very short time. Also, the Rav, we mentioned, never learned in yeshiva. The Chaznish never learned in yeshiva. Rav, uh, the Stipler never learned in yeshiva. You find there's some great people, they never themselves learned in yeshiva. So he moves to Berlin, and where he gets a doctorate from the University of Wurzburg, and he founds a base medrash called Base Medrash Elyon, which is when he's, his first interaction with Rabbi Salavitch, when Rabbi Salavitch himself goes to the University of Berlin, that's where they meet. Now, although he was many years older, they become friends. Um, and then the Nazis forced the yeshiva to close, and he was one of the lucky ones who, well, many of the German Jews actually did escape. So he escapes to America in 1937, where he's appointed to Rosh Hashiva in Ritz. That was one of the things that happened then. Uh, Rabbi Belkin, Rabbi Belkin was the 
Yes, Rabbi Belkin was the, was, the, was the president then, and he basically, partially because he wanted to lend the yeshiva prestige, but also then he realized in order to save the gedolim of Europe, he, he, he starts bringing in all these tremendous gedolim from across Europe. He himself was a Muslim, from the he was no slouch himself. He knew these people, he starts bringing them in and giving them jobs, even if they, the yeshiva didn't need them. So Rabbi Chaim Heller never taught an, a daily shir there. But he needed to get the you know, sponsor these people to come to America, give them, give them a parnasa. So the fact that Rabbi Salavechik gets up at, the, at the, one of the Chagas Michas, and he says as follows, and Rabbi Dalio Schwartz, who, was the, who just passed away, who was in Chicago, said when he heard the Rav say this, he thought the Rav was just, you know, like any Rosh Hashiva proud of his yeshiva, exaggerating, until years later he realized, he said, he looked at the Talmud and goes, you don't realize, there are, there, the cast here Rosh Hashivas are probably the greatest minds of any, that any yeshiva ever had. Because you just had these tremendous Ga'onim go, go, go who are spread throughout Europe who Dr. Belkin calls to America and gives them jobs. And even passing through some of the great minds who didn't stay very long, Roshim and Shkup, is, ends up in the yeshiva. And you have the Manchester Elo who we mentioned who was there. You have these great, great Ga'onim who are, end up in, in Reitz. So, again, returning back to Chaim Heller, what made him unique was he was this great Go'on. He writes these books in the Choshim Mishpat. He writes books, on, he has articles on Kachim and Tars, all areas of Torah. But where he dedicates most of his time is biblical criticism, especially in that, in that milieu of, the, of Germany, where there's this academic study of the Talmud and the Bible. He recognized that there was a dearth of people who were actually going back to study the Semitic texts and going back to the study, you know, the ancient texts which, and, and languages, which can really help them understand the biblical criticism. So he himself goes and he studies many, many languages. Um, I, I brought down a list here of what he knew. Um, Hebrew, Arabic, Aramaic, Syriac. Sounds like something that Yo will be interested in. You know, all these things to get him a better and broad understanding of the Tanakh and Shas, which al- allowed him to really discuss biblical criticism and attack it at its roots. In fact, one of the co- few controversies with him was when he comes to New York, he's in Reitz, he decides he can give a, a bunch of shiurim on biblical criticism. And that becomes a big controversy. You know, how, the general question, how much you expose people who don't have questions to these questions, because maybe they'll only open up a Pandora's box versus not. Um, one of the other things he does is he becomes very close to some of the great gedolim of that generation. You know, Yitzhak Elchanan Specter, or otherwise known as Isaac Elchanan, Ritz, named after him. The Beis Halevi, Rav Salvage's grandfather. The Netziv, Rav Chaim Brisker. Rav Elia Feinstein, who was Rav, Rav, the Rav's father-in-law. Was yeah. this all at Ritz? No, this was on Europe. Oh, okay. And he, uh, can, then he comes to, he comes to America. When he passes away, he writes a critical edition of the, of the, of the, of the Ram of Sefer Mitzvah, which is why we're mentioning it. One of the reasons it's so important is because he, he does the actual research of going back. See, there was a major problem in that the Ramban counts up all the Ram of 613 and then realizes it wasn't 613. He was missing seven mitzvos. So everyone tries to figure out why the Ram didn't hold the seven mitzvos. What does Rav Chaim Heller do? He does the research and goes, let's go find the edition of Sefer Mitzvahs the Ramban had. And what do you think he found? A flawed copy. Now, many people suspected this because it just didn't make sense, but he actually did the research. He also, he, there are times, one of the, the first mitzvahs, in fact, we can discuss this more, he proves from the fact that if you look at the Arabic of the way in which the, Ram, of the, way, the word in which the Ram uses for amuna doesn't mean to know God or to understand God, meaning you just have to believe, there's a, or sorry, believe in God or know there's a God, which one would imply you have to do a lot more research and find rational proofs, whatever it may be. So everyone's trying to figure this out, and he goes and looks at the original Arabic, and through that he can, has an approach which we'll discuss. When he dies, the Rav gives a masterful hesped, I believe, I don't know, it was Marvin Fox, someone wrote, wrote an art, Marvin Schick, someone wrote, an art, someone wrote a, a 
whole article dedicated to how the Rav was this unbelievable mosquit. He gives amazing drushes. So he gives an, a, 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 this uh, drush, which I wanted to read parts of, but that's what I left at home, where he discusses of Chaim Heller. He calls him the Sheres HaPleta, the leftover, the remainder, Sheres HaPleta, the remainder from the, you know, the destruction, what was left over. He discusses how for him, Chaim Heller was walking into another world because he was a person who interacted with all the gadolim of, future, of previous generations. He says, and I walked into his room. He goes, he'd be sitting and learning, and you feel like you're walking back into Europe, into the previous generation. He lived in the lower, Upper West Side, I believe, and he said he'd motion me to come over. He sometimes didn't even notice who I was. Like, he was so engrossed in learning, and we'd learn together. So he discussed it again because he had all these connections, and then he, at the end, he, he mentions, he says, that he was a person who had this, again, tremendous intellect, an intellectual on one hand, but also had this certain amuna, the ability, the belief that was very pasha. He was able to kind of use the heart and the mind in synthesis. So that is Rav Chaim Heller. Again, more, uh, more to come. I, I told Yola I'd mention this person. Alfred Jelnik. Rabbi Alfred Jelnik. I don't know how to pronounce the name. Jelnik, I don't know how to pronounce that name. Born in June 1821, dies in 1893 in Austria. Who was he? So he was a reform rabbi. But as we noted for Shavuos night, first night of Shavuos, you remember I read that Kuntris from that reform rabbi explaining why you can have an organ in a show? And you would have thought it was written by any, I don't know, anyone... Any Orthodox rabbi, the way he wrote things and how he quoted things, it only took the Chassam Sober to point out all the flaws. So he was also a tremendous Talmud Chacham. And he writes this book called Kuntras Taryag, where he lists that there are 144 books and poems dedicated to the Sefer HaMitzvos. So it's not just the Rambam, it's not just the Sadi Yagon, not just the Baha, the Smag. 144, there's actually a rebuttal to this where someone, uh, a, hamburger, a rabbi hamburger, I believe his name was, or Bamberger says you actually missed a bunch. This just shows you how this became, this became a topic. Interestingly, he, he was the father of Mercedes Yelnik. Who was Mercedes Yelnik? Her father was Emil. Ever hear of Mercedes Benz? Who is Mercedes Benz named after? Well, the first architect of it, the first engineer, was Adolf's, not Alfred, Adolf's son. And he named it Mercedes after his daughter. Again, this long history of the Mercedes. Not for now, but Mercedes is actually named after a Jewish girl. Okay, interesting story. So he writes this thing, that, he, he writes that. And then there's many other books. Again, there's the, there's the we mentioned the Bahag. There's the Smad, the Sefer Mitzvah's Gadol, written by Rav Yaakov of Kutsi, who was um, a, a French, uh, sorry, the Smad, excuse me, a, a, a Smad, I always mix the Bahag and Smad, Smad, who was a French Tosavist who was involved in the disputation of the Talmud in. 1240, we've discussed this, I know we discussed it on Tisha, but we discussed at one point the disputation of the Talmud as well. He was one of the defenders of the Talmud. So he writes a book. There's the Chinuch, as we mentioned. There's the Sefer Yireyim by Rabbi Lezer of Metz, who's also a very important work from the Tosfos, counting all the mitzvot. There's just, there are many, many works dedicated to the Sefer Mitzvot over the time. And my hope was, again, today, was to kind of just get an introduction to the primary people we're going to quote. We're going to quote the Chinuch and this anonymous work which had a commentary in it by the Minchas Chinuch, Rav Babad, there's a Babad in town, he was a descendant. When Rav Babad, the legend has it, by the way, when Rav Babad, the Minchas Chinuch wrote his commentary, everyone wants to know why he wrote it in the Sefer Chinuch. It was okay, it's a work everyone knew, but like, why in that? Apparently, he said he was going to write it on the Rambam. Because everyone else wrote on the Rambam, no one would want to read his work, because there's so much on it. So he decides to write the Sefer, the Sefer Chinuch, and it would be unique. And he was right, everyone learns it. Very interesting work as well. You have you know, the Rambam, you have the Mursag, the, the, and you have the commentaries of Heller, you have, you have um, Rukhim Pushal Perlau, and then I found a book from someone from Chicago I know nothing about, um, which I'm using a lot as well, called uh, Derech, the Derech HaMelech, or the Mitzvah HaMelech, the Way of the King. And 
that is also going to be important work that we're going to be using as well. So I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to the next couple of weeks, couple of months learning this together. Very good. Have a wonderful week. Yes, Inbar. Rabbi, um, from what you showed here,